Could you let that be your prayer right now? All over this house, could we just raise our hands, Lord? Just give us awareness. Let that be your prayer right now. Just use that word, Lord. Let me be aware as never before of who you are, where you're at, how you're working. How many of you believe that the Lord is working on your behalf? How many of you believe the Lord is working in our community? How many of you believe the word... The Lord is working in Southwest Louisiana. All over America tonight on this first Wednesday, the first of March, there are churches meeting across the nominal lines that normally do not meet on Wednesday night. They have a different format during the week, but they're meeting right now. I know of almost a hundred that I personally know of. And they're coming together and they're just simply seeking after God's presence for their community. Ladies and gentlemen, something's happening in America. It's already been happening in the world. Thousands are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Do you hear me? Thousands are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost all around the country. I mean, all around the, the, the world. I believe it's America's time. I said, I believe it's America's time. I believe it's Louisiana's time. Lord, right now, 275,000 people in this parish call it home. Statistics tell us that almost 50% of them have no religious affiliation. We pray, God, right now for that 50% to be aware of your presence on a Wednesday night. Let their hearts be stirred. Mm. from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Let it give up its sons and daughters right now. Every backslider that's walked away and hurt in pain, let it come home. Right now, right now, we speak revival, we speak healing, we speak restoration over this region. Not just this city, but this region. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn around and tell somebody I'm glad to see you here on Wednesday night. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, there is no telling what God can do. I believe that. I believe that. There is no telling what God can do. You're going to turn in your Bibles to James, the book of James. I'm not going to actually read there, but I want you to stay there because we're going to be all over James. I just want to read to you a short scripture. It's not in your notes, but a short scripture. It's really a paraphrase of Hebrews 6 and 1. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us go on. Say that with me. Let us go on to maturity. Let us go on. To maturity. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's in this room. I pray that you speak to us out of the power of your word. Lord, I just ask that your word would go forth and do its work. Download your thoughts, your words, your actions in our minds, our spirits tonight. Allow us to see and understand what you have for us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Little boy sitting at the table with his dad, who was the pastor, preacher. And he came up to his, the table and he said, dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm working on my notes for Sunday. He was writing on a pad with a pencil. So the little boy sat there and watched him for a minute. And then his father took the other end of the pencil and erased some notes, wiped off the page and kept writing. He said, dad, what'd you do? He said, I thought you were writing your message for Sunday. And he said, yes. He said, well, where did you get that message? He said, I got it from the Lord. He said, well, why are you erasing things? (laughs) Praise God. Amen. You'll get that in a minute. Hallelujah. (laughs) We're going to start a short series. I'll I'll say that because we'll just go as the Lord leads us uh, from the book of James. How many of you have ever read the book of James? 
If you've never read the book of James, I encourage you to take some time this week. It's a short book, but it's packed with good stuff. Amen. Uh, great places uh, to dig out. Now, I think the problem and the challenge with the book of James is this. A lot of times we cherry pick what we want, right? How many of you find yourself sometimes reading the same scripture chapter over and over? Am I the only one? Maybe not. I'm just... No, we do that, right? Because it speaks to us in a certain way. And then there's other parts of the Bible that, let's face it, we don't like to read those parts, right? Like those parts where Jesus says, love your enemy. We don't like to read that part. I don't know about you, but I don't like to read that part. Bless those that despitefully you, you know, no, don't like to read that part. It's not, it's highlighted, but it's only highlighted because Jesus said it. Not like, because I like to read it. But there's so much in the book of James, and I think what happens is, is if we're not careful, we can just take out pieces and we don't realize the overall message that James is trying to speak to us. James is known, and obviously we've given this a subtitle here of Faith That Works. James is known uh, from the aspects of what he teaches us about faith. But James is also known, and this is what we want to talk about tonight to kind of kick this off, is the understanding and the theme of maturity. Everybody say maturity. So we're going to look at this idea of maturity. Most of the times that we encounter problems in our life is because we either say immature things, make immature decisions, or act in immature ways. Amen? Growth, ladies and gentlemen, is still required. There's an old song. We sung it back in children's church, Sister Gwen. God is still working on me. Anybody with me? So no matter how you find yourself tonight, where you find yourself at in your faith walk, and I know that we say this a lot, there are mature believers in this room. But a lot of times we look at people who have been in church for a long time and we classify them as mature believers, but that does not necessarily mean that they are mature believers. Are you with me? Amen. So God's will is for every person in this space to grow and for us to grow in a healthy way, in a faith-filled way. So what is maturity? How do we know that we're right? This is in your notes. First of all, I'll tell you what maturity is not. Maturity is not age. Maturity is not age. It has nothing to do with how long you've lived or how long you've been a Christian. Amen? Saw a bumper sticker one time. It says, it says, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. I know some people like that. All right? They're 50, 60, 70-year-old kids. Amen? Maturity has nothing to do with your age. Now, God's design is for as us to grow older, we should what? Grow wiser. And if we grow wiser, we should grow in what? We should grow in maturity. But maturity is not age. The second thing is maturity is not appearance. Some people look mature. Some people even look spiritual. They look dignified, but they're not truly spiritually and emotionally mature. Maturity has nothing to do with achievement. Maturity has nothing to do with what you accomplish because you can accomplish a lot and still be very immature. See, it doesn't take a lot of maturity to become a millionaire in this day and time. Just go to YouTube. You can find that out for sure, right? So it has nothing to do with achievement. Maturity has nothing to do with academics. I did, pastor said it, I believe, last week. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've gotten. It doesn't matter how much education you've gotten. When I know when I graduated from high school, like we all did, we felt like what? We knew it all, right? At 18, we graduated. 17, 19, we knew it all. Then I went to college, and guess what I found out? I didn't know very much. And then I went to seminary in graduate school, and guess what I even found out even more? I knew very little. (laughs) Amen? So it doesn't matter how many degrees that we have, that does not have to do with maturity. But here's what God says. God says maturity is attitude. Our attitude, say that with me, ladies and gentlemen, our attitude and our character is what makes the difference in our maturity. See, character is who we are in the dark when there's nobody else around. 
Let me say that again. Character is who we are in the dark when there's nobody else around. See, recognition is what people say about you, but character is what God says about you. Amen. God says it's not, it's your attitude that determines whether you're mature or not. And God wants us to grow spiritually and emotionally and have Christ-like attitudes. So how do we measure spiritual maturity? I'll tell you another thing that you, I'm going to tell you another way you can measure spiritual maturity is the awareness that you have in your own life for the grace of God at work in your life. Not by comparing myself. I don't measure maturity by comparing myself to other people. I measure my maturity by comparing myself to the truth of God's word. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, the world is not our mirror. Your fellow believer is not your mirror. Your spouse is not your mirror. This is your mirror. Amen? You want to know how mature you are? Put yourself in an honest place and say, God, reveal where I'm at in the scope and the understanding of what this looks like in my life. In other words, am I not just reading this, but am I allowing this to read me? Amen? Am I allowing this to dissect me? Am I allowing us? When is the last time that you took the Bible out and something was so convicting to you that you begin to weep as you read a simple scripture? That's a level of maturity, ladies and gentlemen. Are you still with me? So how do we measure uh, spiritual maturity? We don't do it by comparing ourselves to others. So in the book of James, we have this idea and this manual. See, maturity is becoming less self-conscious and more God-conscious. And this is what James is wanting us to see and understand. The word mature in the Greek that he uses here is teleos. And it's translated as mature, complete, or perfect. And he uses this word five times in five chapters. So I have a feeling that James is wanting us to understand. So where, what are the five marks of maturity? We're going to talk about that. Number one, it's in your notes. A mature person is positive under pressure. A ma- say that with me. A mature person is what? Positive. Everybody say positive. Under pressure. Not just under pressure. How many of us live under pressure? Right? How many of us have pressure-packed jobs and situations uh, that we're surrounded with? Anybody? Amen. How many of us have stressful situations that we deal with in everyday life? Maturity, a mature person is a person who is positive. James one, there's, here we are in James. Now look at the first chapter of James verse two, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, the testing of your faith develops what perseverance. Everybody say perseverance and perseverance must Finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do we handle trials? How do we handle pressure? How do we handle stress? The first test of maturity is how do I react to things that seem out of my control? How do I handle stress? Does it blow me away? Does it give me nervous? Does it give me negative? Does it, does it make me untight? Do I grumble, complain, gripe? How do I handle problems? Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, I think it's obvious that life is full of challenges. Amen. Let me say that again. Life is full of challenges. I think we've all got that figured out. But let me tell you something. Christianity is not a program, nor is a religion. Jesus said Christianity is living a life. Christianity is a life and Jesus says, I've come that you may have what life and it what more abundant, but life comes with challenges. Life comes with us having to have the ability to solve problems and face them. What with the right attitude, everybody say the right attitude. So maturity, the question of maturity is what is my natural attitude? What is, what am I naturally bent to when things don't go right? And when we're irritated, how many of you always seem to find yourself in a place where you don't seem to be getting your own way? If you're married, say amen. Hallelujah. 
Are we negative? Are we positive? Are we basically a supportive person or a skeptical person? Is my life filled with gratitude and grumbling? Am I affirmative or am I angry? James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about us being perfect. I'm not talking about us never having a bad day. I'm not talking about us hiding our head in the sand and saying life is just going to go on without me. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having the spiritual fortitude and the perseverance in our life that even though we may get knocked down, we get back up with the right attitude and say, God, I may have messed it up today, but tomorrow get me back up and we'll try it again. Anybody with me? Because let me tell you something, living this life is just not all fun and daisies and roses and tiptoeing through the tulips. It's not. Amen? Life can be brutal. But James says, you know that you're growing in your maturity and how you respond to that brutality of life. Amen. Maturity is... One author said this, and I read this this afternoon, I had to write it down, I wish I had to put it in your notes. Maturity is the ability to joyfully live in an imperfect world. Maturity is the ability to joyfully live in an imperfect world. Number two, a mature person is sensitive to other people. A mature person is sensitive to other people. James 2 and 8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, and that law is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. A mature person is sensitive to people. And I'm, let me say this. A mature person is sensitive to people, the people, even people that they do not know. He doesn't just see our, we don't just see our own needs, but we see other people's needs and we understand their hurts. They're not interested in our, just ourself. Let's face it. How many of you have children? Does their maturity creep up when they're young? And it's all becomes what? All about who? Them, right? You know, my son, Alex, you know that he doesn't have the ability to communicate, but there's sometimes we just have to stop and say, Alex, Guess what? We're still the boss. And he'll kind of smile. And I know he's thinking, yeah, right. Right? And sometimes you got to put your foot down when you're a mom and dad and say, hey, guess what? We're still the boss around here. And you can't just, it's not Burger King. You can't just have it your way all the time. Amen? But that's exactly what we do, and we don't even have to be children, but we can be spiritually and emotionally in a place of immaturity, and we come to God, and we think that we have to have it our way. No, that's not how life works. Amen? It's not how life works, but God says if we love, if we're, if we're mature in our belief and we're mature in our spirituality, that we will put the interest, what does the scripture say? Paul says this, put the interest of others above yourself. That's what he says in Romans. Put the interest of others above yourself. When's the last time that we did that? James gets very specific. If you read chapter 2, verse 1, go there real quick in your Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, and he uses this example of a wealthy man and a poor man. Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich man, but you say to the poor one, you can sit over there, stand over there in the corner, or even on the floor. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? So James is using this illustration. Paul takes it a de- he takes it he he goes a little bit further and he's talking to the church people. He says, "I may win all kinds of people to the Lord. I may build great church buildings. I may have social media influence. I may give all of my money to the poor, but if I have not love, I am just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal and it doesn't amount to much." 
Paul says, I can prophesy, I can speak in the tongues of angels, uh, I can do all of those different things, but if I can't love somebody, right, then it's useless. Amen? I said, it's useless. See, we spend so much time in the apostolic, Pentecostal, uh, spirit-filled world focusing on the gifts of the Spirit when we should not be focusing on the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. Because a lot of people have gifts of the Spirit, but they had no fruit. And you know what? You have all the gifts of the Spirit you want to, but people aren't going to listen to you because they see the fruit of your life. Amen? They see the fruit of your life. Jesus said one of the most sobering things in Matthew 25, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He said, they'll say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me and saying, we'll say, Lord, when did we do that? He said, when you were sick and we visited you, when you were in prison and you were thirsty and gave you drink, Jesus says, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. It's interesting to me that in Matthew 25, the judgment scenario that is here, the one thing that we'll be judged for is not spiritual gifts, but how we treat other people. And it's not just treating other people, but it's treating other people who really can't do anything else for us. Not how many Bible verses we know or how many times we've been to church or how great a reputation we have or as a, as a leader, but how we treat other people. It's either oh me or oh my. Amen. Or amen. Maturity has an understanding and has an understanding that my, I am a, living out a mature place in God when I learn how to treat other people. And here's the thing, treating other people who are not like us. Right? Treating other people who may disagree with us. Treating other people how, that, that don't look like us. That don't vote like us. That don't talk like us. Amen? Is, is that okay? We have to be reminded of that. Why? Because it's easy for us to fall into a trap. Now, let me say this. This is not in your notes, but let me say this. And I'll step away from the pulpit to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the easiest things for us to do as spirit-filled people who have a Pentecostal background is to get in our own little clique. Is that okay, Pastor? And here's what we do. We do it by default. We don't even know because let me tell you something. It's easy to drift into a click. You have to work to be intentional to get yourself out of the click. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in a spiritual warfare. We're in a battle, the Bible says. And we're not warring against flesh and blood. We're warring against principalities and powers. But here's one thing I do know about battle. I've never been to war, but here's one thing I do know. And I've been around uh, guns enough to know that a click will get you killed. You got it. Two or three of you got it, right? A click will get you killed in battle. Why? Because you pulled the trigger and there was nothing there. We have to fight ourselves against the tug of just being who with who we think we want to be with and the people like us. Amen. Let me tell you something. God wants to give the church of North America a revival, but it's going to come from places that we didn't think it would come from. It's going to come with people that we didn't think it was that was going to come from. And if we'll open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits up to what God wants to do and say, God, it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they sound like, God. We want them in this building, and we want to see God do a move. I said we want to see God do a move among the nations. Are you with me? Spiritual maturity Spiritual maturity helps us to do that, but if not, we won't see it. Amen. I don't want to. I don't want. And I'm not trying to be. Ne- please don't. Please don't. I think most of you know me by now to know I'm not trying to be negative. I just want there to be an awareness. I want there to be an awareness. 
I want, I, I, when I go around this city and this, this town is so small, but when I see people who I don't know, and I don't know a lot of people, right? I, I want to be able to invite them to TPC and them not look at me crazy. You know, I want them to be, I want them to say, hey, I know about TPC. I've heard about TPC. I've heard that's one of the most friendliest places. And you know what? I'm glad you invited me because I'm coming this Sunday. Are you with me? Only maturity can produce that in us. And you know what maturity is when it comes to those kind of things? Maturity is a constant process of understanding. It's a constant process of understanding what God is calling us to do and God is calling us to be. And if we're not careful, hear me, because I've been in this. I'm a preacher's kid. I've been in this 50-something years all of my entire life. If we're not careful as church-going people who love the Lord very genuinely, we will just drift into a place. And we'll, 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 all of a sudden we'll be surrounded with people who look like us, sound like us, and vote like us. I'm just saying. Amen? Number three, a mature person has mastered his mouth. Let me say it like this. A mature person has mastered his or her mouth. James 3, 2 says we, and I think James is kind of being a little facetious here. James 3, 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. Boy, that's an understatement. If anyone is never at fault in what, and listen to what James says. If anyone is never at fault, what? In what he says. He is a what? Perfect man. Able to keep his whole body in check. What is James saying? He's saying, if you've never misspoken, right? If you've never misspoken, if you've learned how to master your mouth, then you are a perfect person and you're able to keep your whole body in check. Used to when you went to the doctor, I don't think they do that anymore, but used to when you went to the doctor, what's the first thing they made you to do? Even when you went to the nurse at school, what they make you do? They make you stick out your tongue. And I never understood that. But knowing now what I know from friends who are from the medical profession the tongue tells you a lot about your health. You see where I'm going? God does this spiritually as well. You know what the definition of gossip is? Hearing something you like about somebody you don't. Ouch. Ouch. Did they, did they? Yeah, that's good. Leave that up there on the screen for just a second, Sylvia. Hearing something you like about somebody you don't. Isn't it crazy how we're more inclined as humankind to be drawn to the negative aspects of people's life than the positive? That's why we have TMZ, right? That's why you have tabloids. That's why you have the internet. And you know what? It's crazy because it is the negative things in life that get the most attention. But self-control comes from tongue control. Pastor preached on it and talked about it a little bit Sunday. I won't stay here long. But we get ourselves into a lot of trouble with what we say and what we think and what we speak. Okay? And I know a lot of people that say, well, I spoke before I thought. That's not true. Now, I know what you're saying, but that's still not true. It was a thought before it ever became a word. James 3 gives us several illustrations. He says, our tongue is like a rudder of a ship, a bit in a horse's mouth, a spark of fire. He says that if you put a bit in the horse's mouth and that little bit can control the whole direction of the horse, a little rudder on a boat can control the direction of a giant ship. So ladies and gentlemen, my tongue, which by size is very insignificant to the rest of my body, can control my life. Why do you say that? And I'm not just talking about gossip. I'm talking about what Proverbs 18:21 says. It says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And you partake, we leave the last part out, and you partake in the fruit thereof. 
So we have a decision to make when we open our mouth. Whatever we say directs the path of our life. We can either destroy our life or we can destroy other people's lives or we can delight in other people's lives and we can encourage them or we can discourage them. Your tongue is a powerful force for good and for evil. And the reason I know that is when God fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he takes over your tongue. Let me say that again. He takes over your tongue. Why? Because it's the most unruly member of your mouth, your whole body. I hear a lot of people that say, well, I just say what's on my mind. Everybody heard that? Don't raise your hand because you probably said it too, right? And it's like they're proud of the fact that they're frank and they're up front and they say exactly what's on their mind. And the challenge is, is once they say that, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot on their mind. The Bible, (laughs) some of you got that. The Bible says that it's not frankness, it's immaturity. I read this this morning. I love this. Maturity is realizing half of what you want to say doesn't need to be said at all. Maybe just prayed about. Let me say that again. Maturity is realizing half of what you want to say doesn't need to be said at all. Maybe just prayed about. Ephesians says, don't let any negative talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up. Everybody say building up. Others according to their needs. In other words, when you talk, you don't just say things to build yourself up. You say things to build other people up. And if it doesn't build someone else up, don't say it. Well, it's the truth. You don't have to speak it. You can pray about it. Because a mature person manages their mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. The gifts of the Spirit were given to us for the building up and the edification of the body of Christ. Edification, the word there is literally means to be built up. So even when we use the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of discernment, the gift of wisdom, we have to understand. It's one thing that my father taught me in operating in the gifts of the Spirit. He said, David, if it's anything that you believe is negative, keep your mouth shut and pray about it. Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit were given to us for edification. James 1.26 says this, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If I've memorized a 100,000 verses and been through every Bible study in the book, never missed a church service, never missed Sunday school, but if I cannot control my tongue, my religious display is worthless. If I'm always saying things that are not accurate or exaggerating or speaking impulsively, it's a worthless witness to this world. Jesus says that we will be judged on our careless words. That's one, ladies and gentlemen, you know what? That's one of the scariest scriptures in the entire Bible to me. He says, if we'll speak careless, you know what the word there in the Greek is? I wish I'd put this in your notes. It literally means non-energized, of no value. In other words, and I'm not talking about we're just me and Jason are at lunch and we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, right? Who have no value, right? You know, amen. Amen. Praise God. I can say that as a Cowboys fan. Come on, somebody. I prophesied to you. It was going to happen. It just took the second round for it to happen. Anyway. If we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys and we're just shooting the breeze, that's not what I'm talking about. But we can be very careless in our words when it comes to ourselves, our family, our situations, and people around us. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to change our language. Change your words. Change your life. Let me say that again. Change your words. Change your life. Well, every day I wake up, I don't feel full of faith. That's when you really got to change your words. I can testify to you. There are many days that I get up and I don't feel very positive. You can ask my wife. But that's when I've got to dive deep into what God has already said about me. 
I said, that's when I've got to dive deep when God, what, what God has already said about me. That's when I have to get out my phone when I can't think of the words. Uh, and I've got words that are printed down, confessions of faith uh, printed down on, on a phone or a tablet or a piece of paper where I don't, if, if I don't have the words, I better make sure that I'm speaking the right words. Amen. Are you with me? So we have to understand that Jesus says, don't let any careless negative talk come out of our mouth. Speaking the truth in love means with the right attitude, the right timing, the right place, the right location, and the right motive. Did you get that? Because we got to speak truth in love. Are you with me? You believe that? But that means with the right attitude, the right timing the right place, the right location, and the right motive. The Bible is very practical. Gentlemen, can I just give you a tidbit? It's just free. It's not even in your notes. And I haven't been married as some many as some of you have. But on Monday, I'll be married 24 years. Had to think about it for a second, right? On Monday, I'll be married 24 years. And I'm thankful for my wonderful wife who puts up with a whole lot of me. But can I just give you a little wisdom, husbands and maybe wives as well? Never correct your wife in front of somebody else. Even if you think you have to, there's a time and a place. Boy, it got quiet. Maybe we just scratch this Bible study pastor and start talk, teaching on marriage next week. I don't know. It's one thing that I appreciate about my wonderful, sweet wife. I have never in 24 years of marriage heard her speak a negative word about me in front of anybody else. And she's very rarely said anything negative to me. Probably needs to say a little bit more negative to me behind closed doors. Why is that? Because there's a time and place for all things to be said. And even though we think it may be right, it may not be the right time. And we may not have the right attitude about it. And the motive may not be right. Is that good? Is that okay? Hope that helps you. It helped me. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. If our attitude isn't like Jesus Christ, we're missing the point. Fourth thing, a mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? He's talking about conflict. Everybody say conflict. He says, there are any inner quarrels and fights that come from our inner desires. And we want something and we don't get it. So am I a peacemaker? Am I a troublemaker? Do I like to argue? Some people, I'm amazed. I, I am absolutely amazed being and dealing with people for a long, long time. I'm amazed at people that live in constant conflict. They're at conflict in their marriage. They're at conflict with their kids. They're at conflict at work. They're just everywhere they go. It's conflict. It's conflict on Facebook. Everything that comes out of their life is conflict. I don't even know how you live like that. That's exhausting to me. Jesus did not, God did not create you to live in conflict. Hell, this world, sin, and the devil are going to bring you enough conflict. Don't conjure up enough on your own. Amen. The mark of a mature person is a lack of conflict in their life. Paul told the Corinthian church, and I'm obviously paraphrasing. He says, you guys argue about everything. He says, I want you to grow up. You're arguing about communion. You're arguing about spiritual gifts. You're arguing about leadership. If you look at First and Second Corinthians, the letters that he wrote to them, it's all addressing what? Arguments within the church. He says, this is a mark of immaturity. Why is there so much conflict in the world? Why is there so much conflict in marriages? Why is there so much conflict on our jobs, in our relationships? Why is there conflict between me and other Christ-like believers? Why is there conflict between me and God? James says there's two reasons for conflict. James 4 and 3. When you ask, you do not receive. But you ask with the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. So James is saying that the first, this is in your notes, the first cause of conflict is selfishness. 
When I want what I want, then I'm going to have conflict with somebody else. And the inner issue, the issue that we all deal with on the inside of us that drives this is our pride. You want to know, I'm going to, I'm going to just give you a little test and this is not, and we may not finish this, but I just want to give this to you. You want to say, David, I really want to know if I'm a mature believer or an immature believer. I want you to do a diagnostic of your prayer. Whenever your prayer time is over the next couple of days, I want you to do a diagnostic of your prayer life. Okay. If I spend the majority of my time praying about my needs and about me, most likely I'm not a very mature believer. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride comes contention. All conflict is found in ego. When my wife and I have a conflict, it's because I am proud and I don't want to admit I was wrong. Or she is proud and she doesn't want to admit that she's wrong. Or we're both proud, that's even better. And we're never going to admit that we're either one of us were wrong. Pride guarantees conflict at work, church, home, school, wherever. And at the, at the, 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 the fruit of it and at the source of it is our selfishness. In other words, we want things for our self. James 4 says this, brothers, do not slander one another. What is that word slander there? That's spoken. Slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So Paul, so James is saying that the second source of conflict is judgmentalism. Judging others. And all of us, let's be honest, all of us are guilty of judgmentalism. Right? Is, are, am, am I the only one? I, you know, uh, when I lived in a subdivision in Houston and, and I had to worry about mowing the yard there. And you know what, brother Jason, you know what was awesome is I could drive down the block and find somebody else's yard that was higher than mine. And all of a sudden I felt better about my high grass. <laughs> Anybody with me? You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody have a, ever have a sticker go out? The, 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 I don't know how they do it in Louisiana, but inspection sticker. Anybody? Yeah. And it has a, it, does it, do they do that? Brother Dowry in Louisiana, he's got a, he's got a, a date on it. And everybody knows when your sticker's out. But then I pull up to Brookshire Brothers and I see somebody else's out that was six months longer than I, and I don't feel so bad about my sticker anymore. Right? Right. You see where I'm tracking? So what happens is that's funny and it's, and, but it's just a great illustration of exactly how our human nature works. At least I'm not as bad off as you are. And we would never, brother Glenn, let that come out of our mouth, but we sure let it come out in our spirit. Why? Because we do not want God to put the mirror on us. And James says, if you're going to be a mature believer, you got to keep the mirror of God's word in front of you. Why should I not judge? Number one, I'm not God. And when I judge someone else, I'm playing God. Only God, ladies and gentlemen, has all the facts about the situation. In fact, you know what I normally say? Like when we're counseling with couples, there's actually three sides to the story. His side, her side, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. And only God knows all the truth. I don't know the motives and you don't either because you can't tell what is in someone else's heart. Only God does. But let me add this. We can easily see the fruit of people's life without judging them. But only God can judge. God says selfishness and judgmentalism causes conflict. The fourth thing, the fifth thing, excuse me, a mature person, and here we go, is a patient and prayerful person. Maturity, ladies and gentlemen, is the capacity to endure uncertainty. Maturity is the capacity to endure uncertainty. James says this, be patient then brothers until the Lord's coming. As you know, we consider blessed are those who persevere. Verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is what? 
powerful and effective. There are two key words in chapter five. Patient, he uses four times. Prayer, he uses seven times. Ladies and gentlemen, the mark of a mature person is that they are patient and they are prayerful. And you can't have one without the other. In other words, you can't be patient without being prayerful. Be patient, he says, until the Lord's coming. And then hear the illustration that he uses. See how the former, the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop. How patient he is for the fall and the spring rain. You too be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. He's using the illustration of a farmer and he's saying, if anyone has to have patience, it's a farmer. A farmer, if you've done any kind of farming, even on your back patio trying to grow tomatoes, it takes a lot of patience. There are no overnight crops. And sometimes in life, just like a farmer, we have to wait on our answer from God. And we have to wait on God for a miracle. And we have to wait on God to do a work in our lives. And we have to wait. And we have to wait. And we have to wait. And how we wait is a mark of maturity. Now, let me be very clear. Don't pray for patience. I think I'll just end right there. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you can't have patience without prayer. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us and he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave up the rain and the earth produced its crop. If anybody ever had to be patient with God, it was Elijah. But Elijah was patient and he was prayerful and that's the mark of the mature believer. As we close here tonight, the musicians come. I've just put a simple phrase down there at the bottom of your notes. It just says, what are the tests in my life? What are the tests? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not very good at it, 10 being really good at it. What are the tests when it comes to my level of maturity? Number 1, and you can just flip over on the back of your page here and just jot this down if you want. You don't have to jot the whole thing down, but just jot where you think you're at on the scale. How do I handle problems? How do I handle problems? Am I negative? Do I grumble? Do I gripe? Do I complain? Am I positive under pressure? How do I look on that scale of 1 to 10? I can tell you, depending on the day, I might be a 10. Depending on the next day, I might be a 0. Can I be honest with you? I've told you this before and I just have to use personal illustration and I use Alex I'm not, I'm, try, I'm not trying to wear you out but I'm trying to I guess let you know a lot of times special needs kids have a way of bringing out the impatience in their children, in their parents. My wife is one of the most imp- is one of the most patient people in the world when it comes to Alex. My mom kept Alex for almost two weeks while we moved. When she brought him home here to De Quincey, she told my wife, she says, I have a new respect for you. I don't know how you've done it for 22 years. And there's days when David Grigsby can be a very impatient dad. Just being honest. And those are the days where I need God the most. My wife, she's amazingly patient person. But when she's had enough, 
boy, she's had enough. And I can tell in Alex's little face when my wife's had enough. There's a certain way that she says his name and she's done. And even with him not being able to communicate to us, I think he knows when mom's had her limit. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not one day that we go through this life, and I don't care how mature you feel like you are, how spiritual you think you are, that you don't need God's grace at work in your life. Every moment of every day, I need God at work in my life. I need God at work making me a better dad, making me a better husband, making me a better friend, making me a better leader. Every moment of every day. And ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful and we think that we've arrived at a place of maturity, that's a dangerous place. So I hope this week as maybe you you can stand. I hope this week as I'm asking you from this Wednesday to next Wednesday, it's a short book. Read James and say, Lord, I don't want to just read it. I want it to read me. Amen. I said, I don't want to just read it. I want it to read me. Lord, let this be a mirror in my life. Allow me to see because here's the beautiful thing. I love what pastor says all the time. He says it so wonderfully. And, and I, I try to quote him all the time. God never gets involved in your life to decrease you. Only to increase you. Pastor, I don't believe that God ever gets involved in our life to embarrass us. He's a gentle God. But here's the thing I do know about God. God loves us enough to not leave us where we were but to bring us awareness. And what happens is this. We can have blind spots in our life as leaders, as parents, as spouses. Are you with me? And there's things. What's a blind spot? A blind spot is that. Exactly that. You ever almost got run over by an 18-wheeler because you were in the blind spot? And James is saying, hey, for you to rise to a level of maturity is to realize where your blind spots are. And say, God, that's where I need work. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your word. We're such, we're, we're so needy. I know there's people probably here under the sound of my voice. And, and, and I know this room is filled with mature believers and I'm not discounting their maturity, but Lord, I know too that there is not one of us who are perfect and who have made it in. So since you're not done with us, you're still working on us. And I thank you, God, that you're a gentle God. And as we go into this week and as we go into our tomorrow, we go into life and back to home and family, Lord, don't let this word just be something that's printed on a page and we checked off the box tonight on a Wednesday night and We pat ourselves on the back because we made it to Bible study. No, let it become living and breathing and let it dive deep into our hearts for us to see what you're calling us to do because you're calling us to be better believers, mature believers into a place where we can see you like we've never seen you before. We thank you for that today. We just thank the Lord right now in this last, in this moment of this service. Just thank the Lord for his word right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for every prayer being met, Lord, every need being met. We thank you, Lord, as we're about to walk out of this building that you keep us, you cover us, you protect us, you bless us. Lord, most of all, when we step into this community, Lord, let us be the reflection of your love, your truth to a watching world that this community knows who you are because of us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. We love you. We can't wait to see you Sunday. Tell somebody what God is doing at TPC and invite them into his house.